The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. What is the nature of faith that ultimately saves at God's final judgment? What is the nature of faith that ultimately saves at God's final judgment? A friend of mine wrote a commentary on James and perfectly titled this section. It should have been the title of the message today. I could have just stolen it and he wouldn't have gotten mad at me. But he titled this section in his commentary, Unjustifiable Faith. In other words, there's a faith that does not include your justification. And it's dead. And it's useless. And it's worthless. It's unjustifiable. True faith, James teaches us, must be held together by deeds of faith. In 126, chapter 1, verse 26, he tells us, If anyone thinks he's religious does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. A person's religion is worthless. He's talking about an outward religion. If anyone is religious, that's an outward religion. And this mere outward religion must develop into a faith that acts consistently with the mercy of God. A faith that plays favorites. We're going back from chapter 1 and 2. A faith that plays favorites. Look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2. If a brother or sister is pearly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? It's just an outward religion. That faith that plays favorites does not have works. Now, Jesus talked about those that... Can that faith save him? ...seats in the synagogue, right? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Ramps up without giving the them the things needed that we for see the body. One verse nineteen. Well, good is Notice, that? my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow so to speak. So also faith by anger. itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, faith. "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from verse your works. You be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You believe that God is one. You do well." Even the demons believe. Kurt Richardson and says, self-justifying speech. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? To act. Was not Abraham our father justified speech, by works when he offered up his son Isaac? Say they the have faith. He says in verse four. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Faith, and so they're just. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted as him as righteousness. That actually is a cover. And he was called a friend of God. It's a cover. See that a person is justified by works. It's about this time that Martin Luther is pulling his hair out. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
Someone says he has faith. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by words when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? James makes the body apart from the spirit is is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. Words without deeds that. As we've already seen in James, the greatest tragedy of the church today. What good is it? The people who profess faith in Christ. What use is it? Yet don't live for Christ. And it's a rhetorical question, and the this passage I just read is a powerful amplification of. Verse 22 in chapter 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Say that three times fast. Millions profess Christ. He mentioned that right there in verse 14. Says he has faith. Can that faith save him? Millions profess faith, Christ and like they're that, baptized and become members of the church. But they don't James is asking. live out their faith. And again, the question James demands the answer. The no, book. it doesn't. They don't live. Faith based on no more than words and ritual is a counterfeit faith. Since the Reformation, there's always been confusion between what James teaches about justification and what Paul teaches about justification. The role of faith and works in our salvation has always been confusion about it. Students are confused when they deal with that. You were probably confused while I was reading it this morning. What appears to be conflicting teaching between James and Paul Mainly based on just a couple of verses. Romans 3.28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That's Paul. And then James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone has, has, he says he has faith but does not have works? And then a little bit later, it gets stronger. You see that a person is justified by works. So t- verse 24 Compared with Romans 3.28, that could be a big problem, right? One camp goes on the extreme that only works saves. You know those folks. Only works can save a soul. They quote James all the time. And then the other camp goes to the opposite extreme, claiming only faith saves, as Paul teaches, faith alone. In Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And that way, the Apostle Paul and James uh, have been made opponents, taking an opposite view. And it's been hard to reconcile that throughout the centuries. And that's played into the hands of the liberal scholars who just say, well, the authority of the Bible we can't accept. It's too conflicting. But the Bible doesn't contradict itself. John 10.35 says, Scripture cannot be broken. God is not a God of confusion. That doesn't mean we don't have problems with it, right? 
We're not perfect. We're sinful. We see with our eyes. Our eyes look through a, a, a certain cultural mindset. So it's important that we deal with these contradictions or apparent contradictions as we move forward. Paul's the apostles talking to, to Gentiles. He's, he's writing in a Gentile context. James is writing in a very Jewish context. It must be understood from that perspective. Paul wrote to Gentiles who were thinking, well, now we've got to be circumcised since the church for the most part is Jewish. We've got to go through all their laws and explain to them that it is by faith that they were saved and it is not by going through all those rituals that you think you might have to go through. On the other hand, James is attempting to just enlighten the Jewish brethren who are believers of the fact that it's not just simply their Jewish origin that makes them Christians, that guarantees their salvation. In fact, you've got to re- reflect on your faith. Douglas Moo says, "Works claims Paul." Douglas Moo, wouldn't you like for your la- wouldn't you like to be in the third grade and your last name to be Moo? He's a, he's a great scholar. He really is. Works, claims Paul, have no role in getting us into relationship with God. Works, insists James, do have a role in securing God's vindication in the judgment. Paul strikes at legalism, at James at quietism, which could be Christian mysticism or that inward self where you're not, there's no activity. Martin Luther misunderstood James. Martin Luther called James an epistle of straw. He suggested that we throw Jimmy in the, in the fire. Now, he didn't suggest that it wasn't Scripture, but he also had trouble understanding it in his context. The Reformation shouted loud and Clear salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This was the, clearly Luther's reaction against the, the uh, Roman church's works-based salvation. Luther misunderstood James, too. And that misunderstanding continues in many circles today. And listen, if Luther can can misunderstand the epistle of James, if the great mind that lit the flame of the Reformation misunderstood, maybe it's okay for us to misunderstand it too. But we're going to try to understand it. Paul and James both wrote about saving faith and the the works that validate that faith. Paul's teaching centered on the beginning of faith James focused on the continuing evidence of faith. And I want to present some facts, five points. I hope that will clear this up before we actually have the sermon next week. 
First, Paul and James both believed in salvation by God's grace alone through faith. We know this is true of Paul, right? And it's clear. We know this is true of Paul. He says it throughout all his letters. But what about James? We just read something he said about being justified by your words. So what, what does he believe about salvation? James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth. That's, a, that was a, that's the ESV's way to say, caused us to be born again. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Nothing about works there. Caused us to be born again by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Only the word of truth. No works. That's James. Peter, in a sort of a parallel passage in First Peter, used that phrase, caused us to be born again. And then in verse 21 of chapter 1, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Nothing about works there. That implanted word God gives to his people. That saving word in the hearts of people. He's able to save your soul. In chapter 4, the section on repentance, he says in verse 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's grace comes to those who humble themselves in repentance. Nothing about works there. James' idea of faith is one that he values greatly. His point is that faith and works are inseparable in the true believer's life. And yet salvation is by the word of truth implanted in God's people. So the biblical evidence is that Paul and James both believe salvation by God's grace alone through faith. The second point is the New Testament agrees with James that good works give evidence of genuine faith. There's a necessity for obedience in the believer's life. Obedience is required to prove true faith in the most Damning statement regarding all of this. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 7:21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, at least the brothers agree. James and Jesus, brothers, agreed that a verbal Profession is not enough. Real faith works. Jesus insisted in the final judgment. People are going to reckon with the same things that James is talking about in verses 15 and 16. Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. In the final judgment, 
you're still going to deal with those matters, those acts, those deeds. John the Baptist stood for the same teaching with Jesus and James. In Luke 3, 7 and 8, he said, Therefore to the crowds that come out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. A real relationship with God requires that we bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Jesus, James, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist insisted on the very same works that James did, as proof of real salvation, clothes for the naked, food for the hungry. Luke 3, 10 and 11. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. What does James say in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Jesus, John the Baptist, James. All agree that good works give evidence of genuine faith. Number three, Paul insisted that faith always produces good works. There's a radical change in your deeds or your actions. Paul's strongest statement on salvation by grace through faith alone is in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in the very next verse, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, in grace, God purposes that you be a new creation so that works result from that. And those works are prepared from the foundation of the world. He said, walk in them. God prepared a highway of good works on which every single believer must walk. And there's no exception. No exception is provided for. There's no exception whatsoever. By God's Divine decree, faith works. I'm not saying faith works in your salvation. I'm saying faith works, and it works hard. Paul teaches here that God's children were created to do good works. Paul himself 
talking to the Galatians, Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Faith always produces good works. Paul teaches over and over and over. Same thing James teaches. And remember, too, what he says in um, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. And if I have prophetic powers, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I have faith to move mountains without the deed of love, I am nothing. So Paul insisted that faith always produces good works, a radical change in your deeds and your actions. Fourth thing. James and Paul use the same words with different meanings. Well, that shouldn't surprise us because it happens today, right? Remember when bad meant good? It's a bad song we sang this morning. That's actually meant good. Yeah, okay. There's another one in slang, too, dope. That song was dope. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Most of you don't have no idea what I'm talking about. Or the British guy that's visiting his American friend, and he, you know, he says, you know, let's play football this afternoon, and the, and the American says, no, I want to play soccer this afternoon. And by the end of the argument, they realize they're talking about the same sport. Or the title of this message, Faith Works. could be Faith Works or Faith Works. Sort of a hyphenated description. Or how about Rest. Someone said, I got some good rest last night. Good, refreshing sleep. Your doctor says you need, you need more rest. That means you might need to slow down. Or the funeral director says, well, we're going to lay him to rest today. That's a long sleep. Same words, different meanings. Depends on the context, and that's what we have here. In the very same way, Paul and James used words for works and words for justify and words for faith with some differences. For Paul, the word works included mainly the ceremonial law of Judaism, the ritual cleansing rites, the the dietary laws, the feast days, and on and on and on. By works of the law, Paul's talking about, when he says by works of the law, he's talking about a human activity whereby a person may attempt to be saved. 
He says that in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When James talks about works, he means acts of love, which comes from a living faith. What about faith? Paul usually means just a personal trust in Jesus when he talks about faith. In James 2.14, James is talking about some intellectual agreement to some creeds or some belief. Not an effective saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Justified. We'll, we'll address that word next week. So they use the same words, but different meanings. And then lastly, it is clear that Paul and James stood back to back fighting different opponents. Not face to face fighting each other, like some of us might believe. Douglas Moo also says, James and Paul, when properly interpreted in their own context, are not opposed to one another on this point. They give the appearance of a conflict because they are writing from very different vantage points in order to combat very different problems. Paul opposed legalistic believers, those who demand legalism in order that somebody else can have a relationship with Christ. By keeping the law, these people are attempting to to move God to some obligation to save them. That's what Paul's dealing with. He's opposed to legalistic believers. James is fighting lax believers, just slackers, just slackers. Lax believers. People who claim, said they had faith, claim that they've made a simple profession of faith, and that that simple profession of faith saved a person with no evidence. They literally fought enemies coming from different directions. They're fighting back to back, not face to face. Isaac Watts describes this difference in a hymn so very well. So let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. So let our works and virtues shine to prove the doctrine all divine. That's the introduction of the rest of the sermon next week. Let me close with this. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or you do not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul tells the Corinthians, and you and me, to examine whether you're in the faith. Not whether you believe, 
How would you do that? When he says examine yourself, what do you do? Do I believe? Yes, I believe. Okay, my examination's over. Is he saying just check your intellectual understanding of your belief? I don't think so because he says it too many times in other places. An examination looks for evidence. An examination looks for acts that describe who you declare you are. I'm having my annual physical tomorrow. Woo! The doctor's going to examine me, see if there's any evidence of something wrong. Judy would say he should examine your head. But he will do an EKG, and he will listen to my heart and my lungs. I had blood work Friday, and I got an email yesterday with the results of my blood work. Most of you will be glad to know I'm not dying. That's an examination. And Paul says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. What about you? We could go back to the simple verse 22 in the, verse, in the first chapter. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Or we can amplify all that as he does from verse 14 following. There's another thing. Outward fruit can also be sin. And so Paul in another place in the institution of the Lord's Supper asks us to examine the fruit of our faith to see if sin is involved. Well, we know it is. Even our best works, even the best things we do for other people are just filled full of sin. It's filthy rags. But Paul instructs us to deal with it. So it won't be a barrier when we come to the Lord's table. It says, let a person examine himself then. So eat of bread and drink of the cup. It's that time to examine yourself. See what kind of fruit there is. Is there sin that's a barrier? Are there works in my life that describe that my faith is real? How do I examine myself? Just look at the fruit. Is it sin or good deeds? And so Paul in that chapter says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let's bow our heads. Examine ourselves for a moment before we move forward. grateful, God, for the truth of your word and for the instruction to do this until you come again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This coming Wednesday is what on the church calendar called Ash Wednesday, which is a foreign day on the church calendar for most Baptists. But Ash Wednesday.